It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by shopohiostate.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. The finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Bill Landis, tell the people why we're doing this on Sunday morning and not Saturday night. We slept. Someone uh, made the comment last week that we sounded delusional, or not last week, after the TCU game, that we sounded delusional because we recorded that at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, so we decided not to do that this week. And hopefully it sounds better. I suspect it will not make a difference. Here's the thing. I'm a 45-year-old man, okay? I can only push my body so far. And this is what happens after a game at Penn State. So for some reason, they put these big, important games on, <laughs> on at night. So we can't leave the stadium for a while because there's so much traffic. So we're there. We're shooting videos. Of course, we process the videos. The videos don't go through. Everything that should take half an hour takes an hour. You get frustrated. Then you, you leave. You can't stay in State College because the hotels are $600 a night. So we're an hour and 10 minutes away. We have to drive through the fog in the mountains <laughs> waiting for a deer to leap in front of our car. Then we get home. We discussed previously the lack of toilets in the Penn State press box. There actually are two. But there's still there's more than two grown men and women at that game. So I come back at 4.30 in the morning and I clog the toilet. So then I have to go down to the front desk and ask the guy for a plunger. There's nobody even there. I'm like pounding the front desk at 4.30 in the morning, waiting for this toilet to overflow and start flooding the other floors. I come up, I plunge the toilet successfully, but then guess what I wasn't going to do? A podcast. (laughs) I passed out. So I apologize that this is not getting to you sooner, but that's why. Uh, In the meantime. (laughs) What a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. See, you, you people ask for it. Actually, you don't. We force it on you. Sorry. Yep. Hey, load of good questions from the 27-26 Ohio State comeback victory over Penn State. We will run through as many of them as possible. Billy Byler at the Byler. How much, how much of the sluggish first half could be attributed to the whiteout game day atmosphere in Beaver Stadium? It looked incredibly in- intimidating on TV. This is a hard place to play. Yep. Is that it? I mean, it's, it's partly it. I, I, I don't know. I like. Ohio State could have been playing in my backyard, and if they were blitz, if the other team was blitzing as much as Penn State was, I think it would have been tough. Um, that certainly had a hand in it. I think it was more what Penn State was doing, and what Penn State was doing was blitzing a lot. Remember, Meyer made a comment after the game that at one point it felt like Penn State was blitzing on seventy or eighty percent of Ohio State's offensive snaps, and 
Ohio State was searching for answers to how to for how to combat that. So I think it was more what Penn State was doing defensively than it was the atmosphere. But you know, combined, it's a really difficult thing to deal with. I don't know if this really if, if coaches ever think this way, but I think it's interesting when you sort of like combine your game plan with the atmosphere. That if you're playing an opponent who can't hear, and we hear that all the time from Ohio State, you have to go silent cadence. It's so loud. The offensive lineman can't hear what's going on. It's harder to change plays. But you're just a little freaked out in general. And then you blitz on top of that. Yeah. There's one thing to blitz. Okay, you know, Ohio State's going home. We And we're going to get into this a lot. Is that a game plan to beat Ohio State? So Ohio State's going home next week for Indiana. For Indiana to say, we're going to do exactly what Penn State did defensively. Part of what Penn State did was adding the blitz on top of the atmosphere. And I do think that combination is what did it. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And so that won't be the same. Like Indiana, it's not, not going to be – Ohio State's going to be comfortably wrapped in the in the warmth of a Buckeye embrace next Saturday in Ohio Stadium. So it just won't and be the same. And for the rest same. of the year. Like they don't – they play at Michigan State, and that's okay, but it's not Beaver Stadium. Um, and their other road games are Purdue and Maryland. Yep. Just, they're just not going to see anything like it in a, a Big Ten championship, bowl game, whatever. There's going to be nothing like this the rest of the year. But Ryan Day said after the game that Penn State blitzes half the time anyway. But I, I would almost be curious, like, what is Ohio State's, excuse me, what is Penn State's blitz percentage in whiteout games? Yeah. What is their blitz percentage in home games versus road games? Just the idea of couple the frenzy with the blitz. And that creates something. So I do think, and here's the thing. We were sort of joking about this. I wrote a story this week about Isaiah Prince trying to bounce back from his terrible 2016 game at Penn State. And so when Ohio State's struggling early, it's like, oh, dibs on the comeback story two years from now when you're writing about the next Ohio State player who was terrible the first time they came to Beaver Stadium, and then they'll be better next time. Like, yeah. There are cliches that you fall into, unfortunately, as a sports writer. We try to avoid them, but you can't avoid all of them. But it's like, I guarantee it. I guarantee somebody's going to write a story in 2020 about player X who was freaked out at Beaver Stadium the first time he ever played there, and now he's coming back for round two, and he's going to be better for it. But there's no obvious answer, which is why Ohio State won. They were struggling. I thought the line did struggle at times early, but they got it fixed, right? In 2016, the struggle continued. And it was very obvious that it was particularly hard on one player, and I didn't feel that on uh, Saturday night. A lot of questions generally is sort of about trying to stop Trace McSorley, what they did and didn't do with that. Hokey Wolf, Hokey underscore Wolf. I actually think it's a double underscore because it's kind of a long line. Is that two underscores, you think? It looks like it, yeah. Yeah. Linebacker play continues to haunt. Note all the yards by a scrambling QB. Penn State found a lot of one-on-one coverage with safeties. Bad matchup for us. So Trace McSorley, I still can't believe this is the fact that Trace McSorley had never run for 100 yards before, and he ran for 175. I thought the the initial 51-yard run in the first quarter where what it, it did just look like Ohio State was locked up in man coverage. Everybody turned their back to Trace McSorley to run with their guy, and two-thirds of the field was wide open. I thought that was egregious. But then you can't you can't do that. You have to have more awareness by at least somebody on Trace McSorley. But then he's really good, right? I mean, how much yeah. of that is just Trace McSorley is a slippery, smart, athletic quarterback that does that, although he'd never done it before. Yeah, I, I think it's unavoidable to some extent. Now, Ohio State had held Trace McSorley in check 
in the previous two times they played him, at least compared to what he normally does against teams. And this this was more along the lines of what Trace McSorley is, and we saw that. I, th- I think it's okay. He's he's one of the better quarterbacks in the country. He had a really good game. Um, I actually I don't think the linebackers were that bad, and I want to go back and watch it. And I haven't I haven't done that yet, but. But coming out of the game, having just watched it live, I, I did not think Ohio State's linebackers played all that poorly. Um, I think there's still something to figure out with Baron Browning and Tough Borland. I thought Malik Harrison played very well. Um, yep. Pete Werner, I thought, had a couple nice plays, and I thought pr- probably had his best game of the year. Um, I put a lot of what McSorley did on Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch and like the incessant need to play man coverage 50 yards down the field with a very slippery running quarterback and half your defense has his back, has their back turned to him. I just think that's poor scheme against a player like that. And I guess it's sort of pick your poison because Trace McSorley will just throw jump balls on you all day if you give him the opening to do that. And, and I think probably you'd rather take that away than, than focus on him as a runner and let him throw the ball over your head. And I think they only gave up the one, the one deep pass play they gave up was just a ridiculous catch. By yep. Jawan Johnson, and then there was a long slant, and I think maybe there might have been one other deep pass, but but for the most part, I thought Ohio State did a good job against that, and I just don't think you can stop everything. But maybe they could have helped themselves a little more by playing some different defense and limiting McSorley's running ability. They had a another, they had a pass interference call on Isaiah Pryor, Pryor on one of the downfield balls that actually looked like it might have been good coverage. It wasn't. Oh yeah, I thought I thought that was good coverage. Yeah, um, but we we had thought that coming in, sort of that you, you just throw it up because. You're not as scared as the Ohio State second of the Ohio State secondary as you have been at times in the past. You don't think if I throw it up there, it's going to get picked. So take a couple shots, see if you get some flags, and they got at least one. Um, I thought Malik Harrison did play well. Tough, tough Borland, I thought struggled early, but and they put Baron Browning in, and we'll get to a Baron Browning question now. But then after like I think Browning might have played like every snap for like three or four series, and then they brought Tough Borland back in. And on the first play, Tough Borland was back in. He forced the fumble yeah. that led to Ohio State's only first half touchdown, and like got them back in the game. So, um, Harrison had eight tackles. Borland had eight tackles. Werner had five tackles. That, like statistically, that is by far their best game. And so, so let's get into the spying a little bit. Uh, WDK Cards has a couple questions, but one of them is why so reluctant to spy with Browning. We had theorized when we did the podcast before we talked to anyone last week, um, would Browning be the McSorley stopper? Then we went to interviews and Pete Warner said he, he expected that he and Malik Harrison would be the spies on Trace McSorley. <laughs> and just to be clear, uh, there's a lot of spy questions. Malik Harrison was spying Trace McSorley a lot. Yep. Um, Again, we have to go back and look at some of it. There was definitely a play where Trace McSorley escaped to his right. I think it might have been on third down. It looked like he had about 30 yards of running room, and Malik Harrison ran him down and tackled him by his ankles and stopped him. And if Malik Harrison – and you can see on that play, Malik Harrison is sort of on the right side. Trace McSorley escapes. Malik Harrison is on to his right, McSorley's left. Mm Mm-hmm. McSorley escapes to McSorley's right, Harrison's left, and Harrison had to get through traffic and slice his way through the offensive line and get after McSorley because he saw what he was doing, and he did it, and he closed, and he made a play, and that was a tremendous play. You'll go back and find it. Go watch the 40-minute cut-up. It's good. It's what we do. You'll go find it. I thought, even when when you spy Trace McSorley, it's not magic. Doesn't mean, yeah, yeah. but I thought it worked pretty decently, even though he broke some stuff, right? 
Yeah, I th- I, I, early on it felt especially effective. I think toward the end of the game it got a little leaky. Um, hit a couple of runs on third down. He had a, a 11 yard run that looked like it was a touchdown. They got called back, and then they scored one play later. So um, I thought it was good early. I don't I don't know what changed later on in the game that allowed him to get out a little bit. But I but I go back to what I said earlier. I think I think it was more that like they just weren't going to let him beat them throwing throwing the ball. A lot of questions about this, and and again, we we have to talk about it. It's not trying to single out a single player, but one of other one of W D K cards. other question is why does Isaiah Pryor, why does Isaiah Pryor continue to take horrible routes on making tackles? Um, he had a banana angle mm-hmm. on on the ninety three yard touchdown, and it's coupled with a couple things though, which is what you're talking about. I think they blitzed on that play. They yep. had Sean Wade locked up in single coverage, and then it's all down. It's like, okay. But he got smoked off the line. At, what, that was Hamler, right? Hamler, yeah. Super fast Hamler, who's probably the fastest guy in the field. And I have an overall question I want to ask about. But they have the fastest guy in the field in single coverage against their slot corner. And we think Sean Wade is good, but but Sean Wade is not one of their top three corners, right? We know that why Sean Wade's in there. But they blitz to the point where there's no help from a linebacker in the middle to mess up a throwing lane or anything. So Wade's beaten off the line. Boom. And then it's all all of a sudden, the only thing between a 93-yard touchdown and infamy is Isaiah Pryor. And he, again, he takes two or three steps toward the line of scrimmage trying to come up on Hamler. And then by the time he does that, Hamler's by him, and he t- makes a banana angle and turns to run with him, and it's over. So it was a bad angle by Isaiah Pryor. But also, Ohio State got smoked on the play call trying to blitz there, and boom, boom, the fastest guy in the field has the ball, and you're in trouble. So what? So like, who's responsible for that? Yeah, it's a question that's come up a lot with Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch, Grinch this year about these plays in particular. It's like the... The safety in the end has to make the play. Like that's why he's back there. But so much happens before the ball gets to him that, that you also need to take into account. But but it's fine to be concerned about the angles that Isaiah Pryor's taking because it's not the first time it's happened. Um, Oregon State hit a slant, and it, maybe it was Jocelyn Wint on that one um, that took a poor angle because he was a deep safety on that play in the first game of the year. But what was funny is like I had a conversation with Greg Schiano a few weeks ago about Jordan Fuller and just sort of freeing him up to be the center field safety all the time. Because the spot he was in requires him to play a little more man coverage and it doesn't play deep. And then they flip-flop the safeties on Saturday and put Jordan Fuller into the boundary, which is where he played last year, which allows you to play some more center field. But then on that play, it's just the the way that Penn State had its formation aligned is that Isaiah Pryor ended up being a deep safety anyway. Um, and had Ohio State come, come into the game with its normal safety al- alignment that it's played all year, it would have been Jordan Fuller back there instead. Um, and I don't know, I'm not saying Jordan Fuller would have made the play, but I certainly feel more confident that he would have than I do in Isaiah Pryor right now. And I don't know anything about football, but is that a coincidence? Or is that Penn State scheming this spot on the field? How they, you know what I mean? Like an adjustment yeah. of like, we don't want Jordan Fuller Maybe. back there. We yeah. want Hamler getting a shot at the second level against their weaker safety. You know, like sometimes yeah. Yeah. It's, it's no coincidence how this stuff happens. Uh, the Urban Renewal, would Tim Beck have called a better play? I saw that question. That was funny. Be- best Tim, wishes. Tim Beck went around the quarterback. Best wishes to Tim Beck, who had an infection yeah. and was unable to travel to Texas's game. We think Tim Beck is a bad football coach. We wish him no ill will, personally, <clears throat> or health-wise. Um, so let me couple that question with 
if I can find, ah, with Dan Dudley, at Dan Dud 77 is Ryan Day still a hot commodity? I was joking during the game of, like, Urban Meyer saying, like, walking up to Ryan Day on the sideline and saying something like, hey, Ryan, why don't you go wait over there and I'll handle this. Just wait until I'm ready for you. It was not a good first half game plan, and they made adjustments. And we haven't written a ton of stories yet because, A, we had to drive in the fog and try to avoid deer. B, we shot some videos because you guys like watching us. We're handsome. We're entertaining. Uh, now we're doing a podcast, and then we're going to write stories later. Ryan Day came out and talked all about this, and we're, we're going to write about that among the many other things. They did figure it out. But what what was the issue early? I mean, is that is that like, hey, genius, what, uh, what's up with the first half? Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the Penn State was bringing more guys than Ohio State had blockers. Um which is simplistic, I suppose, but you should find answers for that earlier, I think, than, than the second half. And they did, they did do some screen stuff toward the end of the first half. I think the first touchdown, maybe I'm wrong on that. But the, I think the Dobbins the, touchdown? Yeah. Screen. Screen, right? Um, they just should have went to that earlier. And I think it was obvious that that's what they had to do. They just had to get the ball to Haskins' hands quickly. There was just, you're not going to throw the ball downfield when guys are coming after you like that. And it took them too long to, to figure that out, but they did. So give them credit for it, I suppose. I don't, Ryan Day is still very much a hot commodity. You don't like have a kind of okay coached game and lose lose the ability to be a head coach next year. I think he's fine. Um, I think people were a little out over their skis a little bit and have been on Ryan Day. What? Um, but like he didn't lose anything because they had a poor first half against Penn State. So everybody was asking Ryan Day questions in a in a horde after the game, and Tim May from the Columbus Dispatch came up beside me and. He extended his left arm uh, with his audio recorder and his right arm with his video camera and then ended up embracing me uh, in just a beat writer hug as we talked to Ryan Day. But I, I, may, I think I'm in my own head about this now, but I asked Ryan Day a couple questions and a couple other people asked Ryan Day some questions, and I thought he was more enthusiastically answering other people's questions. Like the really? people who have, been, who have been like, you're a genius, you should get $8 million a year. And then he's like, hey, you're the guy who thinks I'm a replaceable middle manager. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. Who asks me silly questions all the time. Yeah. 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 He, he, it's, I'm a jerk. I, I'm, I'm a terrible <laughs> person. Um, so here, here is, uh, here's the thing. And I'm going through this to write this story. They didn't throw it, right? We saw them adjust and throw wide screens to the receivers and some screens to the running backs in the second half. Just I'm going through all the plays really quickly for the story to figure out how many screens did they call in the first half versus the second half. Like the second play of the game was a, was a screen to K.J. Hill. That, like didn't get blocked, and like the third play was a screen to Paris Campbell that he dropped. Yeah. So I think actually they were trying some of it early, and there were three or four devastating drops in the first half, one, including one by Rashad Berry that led to an interception. Um, and then they didn't drop him in the second half. Like KJ Hill made like a one-handed Odell Beckham catch on a screen in the I second half, about that. That was good. and his touchdown, like his touchdown looked easy. And that's the thing about Ohio State. When Ohio State gets in this comeback mode, it's like, oh, yeah. They got 24 yards off a swing, <laughs> little swing pass to K.J. Hill that was incredibly easy, and, and Terry McLaurin blocked three guys. But if he had dropped that, it yeah. wouldn't have worked. And in the first half, like, some people dropped those. And, like, they, I thought they didn't work anything beyond even, like, the, the deep ball being taken away. And Urban Meyer said that it was taken away. It wasn't there. 
Um, I, I just think I, everybody says like work the middle of the field. The middle of the field is always open. I'm like, why don't they work the middle of the field more? They worked the middle of the field early. KJ Hill dropped the third down slant that hit him in the hands. Yeah. Rashad Berry was a over the middle of the field open. It hit him in the face and it was interception. So th- there were some execution things that happened, right? And then in addition to the play calling, I, I actually think it's possible the play calling didn't change as much as, as I initially thought. And the second half, it's just they started catching the same stuff yeah. that they had been calling. Um, but the the second part of this, and and I think this is a very interesting question going forward, and it's sort of what we talked about, but um, Charles Rhodes at Skid T. Rhodes, is there a blueprint out there now for stopping our unstoppable offense? Are we in trouble down the road? Is that a blueprint? Um. Like, yeah, I guess so, but like, if you're going to blitz all game, Ohio State's going to do to you what it did to Penn State in the second half. I, I think the, the one thing that has stood out to me about Ohio State's offense through these first five games now is that they seem to have answers for things that they didn't always have in the past. And most, most of that is because their ability to throw the ball has been enhanced uh, to, to a dramatic extent. So I think, I think get in Dwayne Haskins' face and try to hit him and try to rattle him is, is the plan for everybody moving forward. Some teams will be more successful with that than others. Um, but when you have Paris Campbell and KJ Hill and JK Dobbins and guys who can catch the ball at the line of scrimmage and turn it into 50 yard touchdowns, uh, I think you need to be careful about doing that. And, and Ohio State showed you against Penn State that they can win a game by throwing bubble screens and tunnel screens and getting 50 yards out of it. So it'll be the plan, but I feel pretty confident about Ohio State's ability to counter the plan now. I'd like to now introduce a segment I like to call Bill Landis Talks Punting. Oh, yeah. Nine punts, 47.9-yard average, long of 58, three inside the 20 by Drew Chrisman. How did Drew No touchbacks either, right? Correct. How did he punt? Great. It was one of the better punting performances I've seen. I'm trying to, like, there was a game, one of the Michigan games, like Cam Johnson and whoever's Michigan's punter was, like, went back and forth. Maybe that was a 2016 game before it got crazy at the end. Um, This was probably the best punting performance since then. He was really good. I know I joke about it a lot, and because it's funny, um, but I think people know that it's important. And Drew Christman uh, was really good for Ohio State and put Penn State in some tough field position. And uh, like people, we wrote about like people called on to how good Chase Young is. Dwayne Haskins probably in the end helped himself. I think Drew Christman might have helped himself for the Ray Guy Award. For the Ray Guy Award. He literally knocked somebody over with this punt. He punted yeah. like 55 yards, and it was so hard, the guy caught it and fell to the ground. It was like a sniper. Yeah, that was beautiful. God, you have a, he has a He's smile. He's really good. Face. He's good. Bill Landis is staring off into the distance of our Fairfield Inn yeah. with a little smile on his face. Love punting. Stewart underscore E for U.S. Vet. The Penn State defensive end said in an interview that if they hit Haskins often, he would fold. I know our receivers had drops, but Haskins was making some crappy. Come on, Stuart. We can't say that word you just typed. But Haskins was making some crappy throws. Do other defenses have a blueprint on us? And that's a similar question, but here specifically is what I'm interested in. How did you think he handled pressure? I think we were talking about maybe you thought he felt some phantom pressure at times. And that, yeah, they're coming. But also maybe he was getting out of there when he didn't have to. Yeah, first half not good. Second half I thought he started hanging in there. Uh, the, the best example of that being Ben Victor's touchdown. That was like a kind of a broken play. I thought it was in, Dwayne after the game said 
based on a certain look that Penn State gave him, he was supposed to check with Ryan Day on the sideline and change the play. They got that look, and you can see Dwayne Haskins look toward the sideline, and he said Ryan Day just said run the play. And Dwayne Haskins like took like a ten step drop because he knew what was he knew the pressure was coming and he was just trying to run away from it like at the second the ball was snapped and then he ran forward and had a guy in his face and threw off balance and threw a good enough ball for Ben Booker to make a play. Um, and there were some other times too. I thought the, the maybe the second or third pass of the second half there were guys around his feet and he stood in there and, and delivered a ball. Um, so I think he evolved like everyone else evolved on the offense throughout the game. But he was not good early. He was he was erratic. I thought. Um, and that was a that was a product of him being pressured sometimes, sure, and other times feeling pressure that I didn't think was actually there. He's just got to get better at sliding in the pocket. He yeah. can't. He just can't run. I don't. I don't. I'm not criticizing him. He can't. He is. I, I know. I know. There's some idea of like, oh, the people are the defenses are so accustomed to him not running that when he does run, you know, like he's gonna break something big. He's not. He's slow. <laughs> I just don't know like what he's hesitant, he, but he ran for, like against Michigan. He had a 22 yard run down to the goal line, and he looked like he could move a little bit when he did that. And I don't know what's different now. Is he is he a little slower because he got a little bigger because they wanted to bulk him up a little bit? Maybe they talked about that. Yeah. They talked about that this offseason when you, when you said could Dwayne Haskins have done this last year? One of Ryan Day's core answers to that question is he needed to get bigger and stronger. And he bigged and stronged himself into a five five flat forty, which is fine. Four carries for eight yards. He is no threat. Zero. There was I think that I think it was a third down. I can't remember. Here's the thing, people. On a night game like this, we watch the game less than you. Like we're trying to do ten things at once. We're not complaining. We're just telling you if our stories don't make sense, we apologize. <laughs> but he there was definitely a play, I think what it was like maybe third and five. And he had some pressure, and clearly there was a lane on the left side of the pocket. And he took it and started to go, and it was like, oh, that's over, because he got like a yard. And it was like, maybe there's a lane, but there is no way he's going to get the yards he needs before they shut this down, because there's four guys chasing him who are all twice as fast as him. So I yeah, I, he's a little he's a little slow on the get off. I think when he when he plants his foot. And does decide to go. There's not much of an acceleration there. Again, and so is Dan Marino. So, but like that means you just you can't go anymore. You just cannot go. You have to slide in the pocket and keep your eyes down the field. And I thought he did not do that in the first three quarters. And Trace McSorley, who is three times as fast as Wayne Haskins, did do that a couple times. Trace McSorley had a great step up and throw over the middle, where you move a little bit and then things open up for you. Dwayne Haskins has to be able to move around pressure, not try to escape it, and find throwing lanes. And then, as you said, like on the Ben Victor play, he did that and it changed the game. Yeah. So he's progressing. Listen, he's not perfect. He's progressing. But but that is an issue. And like if you're just we know he kept it against TCU and that was a big deal and that was wide open. That was five yards. If he needed to get seven, I don't know if he would have gotten it. You know, like <laughs> that it, don't wait for that. Don't wait for the Dwayne Haskins bust in a run, because I don't think it's coming. Yeah, I don't think so either. Robbie Strock, how many game stories did you guys have written in the last eight minutes? Laughing emoji at us. You want to break down the life as a as a sports writer in a tight game at the end, Landis? Uh, yeah, it was tough. Um, I had one. I guess I probably had like three versions going. Uh, one one that they lost because I, I thought with you know before Ben Victor's play that they were headed in that direction they were going to lose. Um, 
and then I like started to get some side stuff ready in case like I went to overtime because I thought that was a possibility. And then I had to scramble a little bit, not a ton, because Ohio State took the lead and there's like two minutes left, and there were some timeouts and some stoppages, and I got to write a little little bit in that period. Um, but yeah, it's like every year against Penn State, it's it's like this, and it's it's a it's a tough thing to write on the fly. I had about a 300-word lead-in of, like, flibberty gibbets, flibberty flop, the dibbity blibbity blibbity bloop. And it was about how Ohio State didn't have its crutch of a running quarterback. And it was like um, – and they didn't have that to fall back on. And then, like, words, word, word 288, it was either and they fell or – and they found it. And then, like, the rest of it was, like, completely yeah. – but the first 300 words were, like, <laughs> a, a whole lead-in to a butt, and then the butt could flip either way. So those are little tricks of the trade, little flibbity-jibbit, little 300-word <laughs> flibbity-jibbit, and then a butt. And then you just say they won or they lost. It's like, well, at least I don't have to write a whole new thing. <laughs> i got to get better at that because I had to write a whole new thing. No, 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 no. I'm not writing two things. <laughs> hey, listen, you don't get paid extra if you write two. That's true. You still only got paid for one. Mark Jesswald, all that talent, but once again, they don't seem like they're mentally prepared. Mistakes, drops, penalties, etc. Like, and there's some stuff, there's some people in here. Oh, Tom Marzano. It seems every year they have a game where they're outcoached despite having the talent. Very frustrating to watch sometimes. The idea of like they weren't prepared, the idea of they were outcoached, I think you would apply that to the Iowa game a year ago. Mm-hmm. Is that what this is, or is this just college football? Is this just on the road, crazy environment, good opponent? They make you look unprepared and outcoached, but you're really not unprepared and outcoached. I don't. I don't think they were unprepared and outcoached to the level they were against Iowa for sure. Like not not close. Um, I think a little bit early on. I think a little bit early on. Um, maybe I don't even know. Like outworked, and I guess that goes back to preparation. I thought Penn State was just like playing a little harder, and I think it's easier to play a little harder when you have that kind of crowd behind you. And conversely, it's difficult to play hard when you have that kind of crowd going against you. Um, but I'm not going to say Ohio State was out coached in a game where James Franklin made like five Ugh. completely puzzling decisions offensively that that took points away from Penn State. Um, so I don't think they were out coached. I think they were outworked a little bit at the beginning of the game, and then. Uh, Penn State looked like it was worn down at the end when Ohio State was getting the ball to its playmakers in space and Penn State couldn't tackle them. Where are you generally on the run game? This is my question. J.K. Dobbins, 17 for 57. Mike Weber, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike Weber, 9 for 51. So the two tailbacks, that's 26 carries for 108 yards. Overall, 37 carries, 119 yards, 3.2 yard average. Um, I think we're constantly in discussions about if they take away the pass, will they run? If they take away the run, will they pass? Urban Meyer, again, we've talked about, said they, they weren't going to let them throw it down the field. But then they didn't just line up with the tailbacks and say, okay, then here we go with that. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins didn't have a run yard longer than eight yards. Uh, Mike Weber broke one or two where he got some holes in the second half. I, I thought maybe in, the, in a game like this you would have seen a little more from that, that if, if, they're, if they're taking away – some pass game stuff, then here we go with the two-headed tailback monster. That's what I thought it was going to be, which is why I, I wasn't totally on the on the shootout train coming into the game. I thought it was going to be Penn State's going to sell out, be the first team to sell out to take away the pass, and Ohio State would run. 
And that's kind of what Penn State did, but then the run game is still not very effective. Um, I think they're still figuring stuff out. They continue to run into the middle of the offensive line with a very loaded box. And I, and I think that the run blocking was not great at the start of the game. I thought, I thought they ran the ball fine in the second half, or, or good enough in the second half. And, and Mike Weber got free a couple times. J.K. Dobbins got free once or twice. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still... That's the thing I'm most concerned about with the offense, I think, is, is still is them trying to figure out the run game without a running quarterback, and they're not there yet. Nick Wolf at Nick Wolf 14 hoping Ohio State fans look at that film and see the downfield blocks that Terry McLaurin made on both touchdowns. Urban has been saying he's the most unselfish guy. Go back and look at that. It feels like Michigan State, the Michigan State win in 2014. There, Terry McLaurin, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, put up a, a, a gif of, of some of his blocks. Here's the thing. They did, they did make that adjustment with some of the wide throws and some of the bubble screens. Then you got to block. So you're throwing to one receiver and telling the two others on that side to block. Um, I think Terry McLaurin's their best blocker out there. I think yep. that's pretty clear. I think everybody on the beat probably in the next couple of weeks is going to start writing Terry McLaurin, Evan Spencer stories. Oh, that started last week. Oh, someone wrote that? He was being asked about it for sure. About Evan Spencer? Yeah. I wasn't there. My daughter had a tennis match. Try to go to it, and then I, I missed the Evan. I missed the Evan Spencer questions. Yeah, he can go. You can still go ask around though. What about he was the, really good about it? I'll talk about it for an hour. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you can't block on those plays, if your receivers can't block like linemen, then you can't throw them. Yep. So that and 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 we can go down this road more, but. That is the run game also. We're, we've been talking about variety in the run game. When you throw a one-yard forward pass out wide and tell two people to block, that's a run. It's a wide run. It's better than a toss to a tailback because it gets you out wider and it spreads the field more, and you get it in the hands of some different playmakers. We've, asked, we've talked about variety in the run game. That's their variety, and you saw Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill, 13 catches, 119 yards, and and almost all of them were those kind of plays. Yep. But you need guys like that, so they're getting the H backs involved with those wide screens, and then the outside receivers are blocking, and that they really found something there. But you've got to have the blocks, and Terry McLaurin is really good at it. He is really good. He's yeah, he's the best, and I think he Evan Spencer might have been a little bit better of a blocker, but Terry McLaurin I think is is. Should be in the same kind of conversation when it comes to that, but I also think he's a better receiver. So he's really good. I think he's underappreciated. The one thing that didn't happen, I thought, I just said, oh, Austin Ward was sitting next to me in the press box, and I said to him at one point, like they're going to hit a they're going to hit a deep ball off one of these fake bubbles, and it never happened. Yeah. Andrew Kopersky at Kopersky underscore Andrew. That was better than a loss for sure, but it didn't feel like Ohio State really truly earned this win. Does this look like a team that can compete with Georgia or Bama? It felt like there were shades of 2016 out there tonight. And I think by that you mean a good team that when Ohio State got to the elite level in 2016, they got blown off the field in the playoff. Like you're good, and we can get into James Franklin's definition of good and elite. You're really good. But are you really, really a national championship contender? We were talking about this in the press box, and you're an AP voter. What would Bama have done to that Penn State team in Beaver Stadium? That again, you can't you can't talk about that the Big Ten is better and then be angry 
when the game is hard, when Ohio State yeah. plays a tough game on the road against a good opponent. Sometimes that's what it looks like. But if you're trying to make that comparison, and that's who Ohio State should be compared to, what would Georgia or Alabama have done in Beaver Stadium on Saturday night? Yeah, I think I think both of them would have found trouble. Um, Georgia Georgia doesn't have a mobile quarterback either. I think Penn State would have done the same thing. Uh, Alabama does, and when if with Tua, and they have three really good running backs, so maybe Alabama would have had some more success. Um, so I don't I don't I think Ohio State is is solidly in the top four, but I do think there's still a gap between Alabama and Georgia and everybody else, and probably between Alabama and everybody else. Um, but I don't think if Ohio State was playing Alabama tomorrow, I don't think I'd be like, Alabama's going to win by 30. Um, I just think, like, when you play – Penn State's good. They played a good team in a really hard place to play a game, and, and they played a, a tight game, and they won by a point. Um, it wasn't pretty, but I don't – I think that there were very obvious flaws in 2016 and 2015. Um, maybe more 2016. 15 was more coaching. Um very obvious flaws in 2016 that I just I just don't feel now. I think I think they're in a new world with this kind of quarterback and they're feeling their way through it. But like I said before, I think they're finding answers to things. It's just taking them some time within games. It happened against TCU too, but in the end they found answers and they won a game against a good TCU team and they found answers and won a game against a good Penn State team. So I'm not I'm not anywhere near 2016 level concerns with this team. I think there's a thing that any good team, if you're going to play a good team, one of the four best teams in the country, this still works against them. One is, like, have a crazy home environment and blitz them, as we talked about already. I mean, Tua would have gotten freaked out a little bit in that, too. And Jake Fromm would have gotten freaked out a little bit. Anybody would. It's hard. And the other thing is, have a slippery dual-threat quarterback. It's like, what can Nick? what's the only thing Nick Saban has ever had trouble defending? Is a slippery dual-threat quarterback. And also Cardale Jones. But, like, that's just... No, that's the whole thing. That's like why college football is fun and interesting because nobody's going to shut down Trace McSorley when he's going to play that kind of game. So Trace McSorley makes you look bad on plays where you do things right. It's like, hey, we defended that well. We had a good call, whatever. And oh, why is he running for 30 yards? Because he's Trace McSorley. Yeah. So Bama and Georgia would have had moments where they would have looked bad Saturday night. Maybe they wouldn't have had to figure it out in the second part of the fourth quarter. Maybe they would have figured it out earlier. Bama doesn't come in there and win 50 nothing. So, and, and here's the thing. Ohio State's not going to get to the point this year, I don't think, where they're going to be as good as Alabama. Where in if they played 10 times, they would split them 5-5. I, I don't know that they'll get there. But they don't have to. All you have to do is get to the point where on one wow. night... You've got a shot and then play your best game. Yeah. So you don't have to be as good as them. You have to be in range and play your best game when it matters. Which is what happened last time they played Alabama. So that's a minor distinction, but take your shot. You're, you're not going to be the favorite in that game. It's weird for Ohio State because they're, they're Bama every other week. That's what Penn State thinks. Penn State thinks we don't have to be Ohio State. But we have to be in a position to have a to take our best shot on one night, and they've fallen barely short the last two years. Yep. But the, as as Penn State is to Ohio State, Ohio State is to Bama. So doing sense. Jalen Burnett at Jalen T Burnett. Do you guys see any issues with the team getting in a bind with the Borland Browning middle linebacker mm-hmm. situation? It looked like 
Uh, it looked a lot like it was two incomplete guys rather than two guys who complement each other. And he he talks about Borland looking slow in space, which is early on when uh, they might have even been on the 50-yard McSorley run. There was just a moment where tough Borland unfortunately got in a spot where he looked very slow because he was not as fast as the Penn State guy he was chasing. He's never going to be as fast as that guy. By the way, he's coming back from an Achilles injury yep. and stuff happens. But you think they're okay? I mean, we've talked a lot about Borland Browning. Are they okay there, or is this just like an ongoing thing of like what's up? Um, I th- I think I think uh, they've gotten a little better each week. It's still concerning. I I still like I, I like rotation at a lot of spots. I don't think I like rotation at middle linebacker. Um, I like continuity there, and I like it's fine bringing a guy in a nickel. And having him be a blitzer, and I think Baron Browning's really good at that. And I'm, that's not to say I'm writing off Baron Browning as the ever down middle linebacker either. Um, I just think there's a spot you need to you need to lock in on somebody. And but the problem is neither one has played well enough to this point where you can feel comfortable settling on one of them. And I guess that's part of the issue. Um, so I'm not I'm not as concerned about it as I was you know three weeks ago. I think it's important to, to keep mentioning the tough Borland. One, like, didn't have a spring. Two, didn't really have a camp. Three, is still coming back from his Achilles injury. Even though he says he's all the way back, I, I just don't think he is yet. Um, but I would like to see them. They're five games in now. Six games against Indiana next week. Like, I think by the middle point of the season, you should have a pretty good idea of who, who the middle linebacker you're going to feature more is, and I still don't seem to know that. This goes to the whole defense, but I think applies to, to middle linebacker as much as anything. You're not going to win every play. There are going to be plays where you look slow. There are going to be plays where you're out of position. Um, and I don't know that that's going to go away. You know, I mean, it felt like we've made a lot of comparisons. It felt like by the end of his career, like James Laurinaitis was never out of position. Mm-hmm. James Laurinaitis never got beat for a 93-yard touchdown. James Laurinaitis never looked slow chasing a guy in a 50-yard run. Raekwon McMillan never uh, – they're not going to be that. But I thought it was very interesting that Tough Borland, I think, had some issues early. They went to Browning. They just didn't play tough Borland for about three series. And when they put him back in, the first play he was in, he got in the hole and forced a fumble that changed the game. So that applies to the whole defense. You're not going to be perfect. I think this defense especially. It's modern It's modern football, not just college football, but the NFL. The game is designed for offenses. You're going to look bad sometimes. But when they make a play on you, you have to be able to make a play back on them. So it's not – I just think it's going to be less and less of like, oh, you've got to be fundamentally sound on every single third down. It's like, man, you got to screw that one up. Yep. But then the next one, at least here and there, force a fumble. Here and there, have Chase Young bat down a fourth down throw. Here and there, get a sack when you really, really need it. And accept the fact – that there's going to be a bunch of other times when you get beat. And I just think that might be where we are in football. People have to adjust their expectations, even for the silver bullets. But I think it might be especially applicable to this Ohio State defense. A couple more. Uh, We get a million Bill Davis questions every week. Um, Joe underscore OSU said, is Bill Davis still a thing, or is this more the the offense and the secondary and other things? You would mention sort of like Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch and just calling the right game, you know, I still don't think Bill Davis is doing a great job. I don't know if we're lining up like, why did that game not go perfectly? I don't know that Bill Davis is no at the top of the list. Again, yeah, again, I thought the linebackers played well, um, or at least played their best game so far this season. 
So, no, I was not. There are times in the press box where like, stuff happens, you're like, man, Bill Davis is terrible. And I, I don't I don't recall doing that in the press box uh, against Penn State. I thought it was more of Shiano's plan and then the offense. L. Fox Seabus. This is just sort of wrapping up Dwayne Haskins. Haskins was a concern, had accuracy issues with pressure all night. Was the deep ball never open? Or was Haskins that off? Again, like the deep ball was sort of taken away. But just like in general, I, I think it's like the idea of did you did you gain did you think Dwayne Haskins was better? And let's 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 pair this with a Genilly question. Did your perception of Dwayne Haskins being one and done change at all tonight? I think I think at some point in the first half when he was struggling, I was I said, you know, I didn't tweet it because I didn't want to freak people out, but it's like, well, Ohio State fans, at least you don't have to worry about Dwayne Haskins leaving. Like yeah. he, he all of a sudden did not look invincible. But then he made progress within the game in the area that I think is his biggest issue, which is being an athlete under pressure. How do you make a play when things go wrong? Um, and, and you could see him grow within a game and that they didn't have to take a loss for him to grow. So moving forward now with Dwayne Haskins in general, did you, did you, is, does he rise? In your eyes, did he fall, or was that just a normal part of the evolution of any young quarterback? Uh, I don't. I don't think he fell. Um, like it was one kind of okay game and four really good games. Um, so I, he didn't fall in my mind. I don't think he fell in any in the mind of anyone who thought that he could potentially be a one and done quarterback. Um, I think it's normal. I think it's normal for a sophomore. He's a redshirt sophomore, first year starter playing in Beaver Stadium against a team that was coming after him nonstop. And he had trouble handling that, but I think any quarterback would have trouble handling that, or most quarterbacks would have trouble handling that. Then he doesn't have the escape hatch that JT Barrett had, and that's fine. I think you still have to learn how to, learn how to work through that. But like Dwayne Haskins is not going to completely alter the trajectory of his career because he had one kind of average night in Beaver Stadium. There's still a lot of games left, and he could play back to. He can still win the Heisman Trophy. He's going to throw a million. He's got 19 touchdowns through five games. He's going to throw a million touchdowns this year. Um, so I think he's fine. I think he's fine. I thought I, I thought it was good to see him in that environment. I thought we learned a lot about him, and I, I agree with what you said that early on it was not great. Toward the end, I thought he was doing some stuff that made me think like he's starting to get this a little bit. I lied. There's a couple more questions I want to get to. Zach Kaminsky acknowledging Zach's question. Kaminsky underscore Zach. Just kind of the same thing. There's a lot of you guys in the same area. Is it credit to Haskins or a credit to the receivers for finally stepping up and making big plays? Do you see any potential issues down the road with the passing game? I just think in general, um, Penn State just made it more difficult than almost anybody else is going to make it. There's an Alabama question here uh, that I wanted to get to. Joe underscore OSU quickly. Big picture, do you think Alabama this year could be a, a historically great team that's standing in Ohio State's way? Basically, can this Bama team be beaten? That If it's the Saban defense coupled with the best quarterback Nick Saban's ever had, is it like, is everybody playing for second place? Yeah, I think may, maybe. I, I have not watched a ton of Alabama. I just see the scores and look at the stats. Um, and frankly, they haven't played anybody where I felt like, oh, I should watch that and see what Bama looks like. Their best game, I guess, their best opponent has been... I don't know, maybe A&M, I guess. And Texas A&M is just, like, fine. Texas A&M's 3-2. and two. Um, Jimbo! They haven't played anybody very good yet. And I don't know when they do. I don't know Alabama's schedule. But but so far, yeah, they're, they're I mean, they're they're scoring 60 and holding everything they play to, like, with under 20. So, they're really good. They might they might be that kind of team. Gene Ely, J.K. Dobbins should be playing two series to every one that Weber plays, right? I thought early in that game, first half, I thought J.K. Dobbins has to play more. Yeah, I thought second half Mike Weber popped a little bit. Though. Yeah, he did pop a little bit. He especially had a series where he popped. I still think 
because there was a series. I said it to you in the press box. There was a series. They moved the ball, and J.K. was running it and running it well. And then Mike Weber came in, and I was like, oh, man, they're going to ruin all that momentum that they just built with J.K. running the ball. And then, like, first down, Mike Weber ran for 13 yards. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. I, like, two to one, I guess. Two to one seems okay to me. It, what, I don't know. How many Seven, carries? 17 carries for Dobbins, nine for Weber, which is almost two to one. Um I'm fine with that split. I just I, I I don't think it should be a scenario where it's all J.K. and no Mike Weber. I think Mike Weber has a role and and has been good this year. So I want to see them both. I think they are still basically sh- alternating series, though, right? That seems like it. Yeah. One thing is the carry breakdown, but the other is like the playing time breakdown. Um, it felt like for a while, like this on J.K.'s series, maybe they were running it a little bit more. But I still feel like that on the field time is pretty much the same. But J.K. got double the carries. I'll be interested to what when we go back and watch the game how much they've had Mike Weber on the field and kept him in in pass protection. It was interesting. They went to a look when they were trying to find something. Split backfield. Paris Campbell on one side, Mike Weber on the other. And the first play they ran, they used Paris Campbell as a lead blocker for Mike Weber. And I was like, well, that's not the way I would use that. <laughs> and then literally the next play, they used Mike Weber as the lead blocker for Paris Campbell. Because I guess if you're going to do that, it's like, well, of course you think they're going to use yeah. Weber as the blocker. So you don't want to necessarily just give in to what they think. But this is going back to whatever game it was. One of the best plays from the 2016 season was Mike Weber as a lead blocker for Curtis Samuel. It was against Penn State. It was a 74-yard touchdown. That was one of the best plays of that season, and we never see it. And not to turn Mike Weber into a fullback, but as a look, I thought that was an interesting look, and I still just wonder, and they're not going to do it, but like, what if that was Dobbins and Weber? I like the look. They, and on that play, they handed the ball to Paris Campbell like he was a running back. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't remember them really doing that very much. It wasn't a jet sweep. Very few. It was Paris Campbell in the backfield as a running back getting handed the ball and Mike Weber as a lead blocker. And it was, I don't know that it worked. I don't think. He had two carries for 19 yards, but I think that would have been like zero on one play and 19 on another. Yeah. I don't know that it was effective, but it was lovely to see. Yeah. Of course, we have to get to a Tate question. Austin Chappelle. Chappelle Austin. Can Tate be the next McSorley? Mark Walker at Marco V. Walker. Any thought of using Martell as the ultra short yardage QB on like two yards to go and shorter leaves the options open? Um, Deal with the first one first. We kept wondering. We know the Tate series is a thing. Tate series is a fifth series, but only in games where they're winning by a million. (laughs) He did not get in. They kept having, like, they were huddling on the sideline, and it's like, Tate Martell is throwing. And it was like, we were like, did someone tell Tate Martell to throw? But it's like, hey, look, there's the top 13 offensive players are all huddling with with Ryan Day. And, like, four yards away, Tate Martell is on the field throwing. Love it. And that's not like, it's not like, oh, well, the backup quarterback always stands on the field and throws right next to the offensive huddle. Is there a role for Tate Martell in important games, situationally, short yardage, red zone, or is that just us and our listeners spitballing and it's never going to happen? Uh, I think there should be. I think I think I've come around to the point where I think there should be, and, and it's tough. It's tough to balance, and like I don't think he should be the all the time red zone quarterback. But they had a fourth down play. It was like a fourth and one play, and they ran a zone read with Dwayne Haskins, and it looked horrible. Yep, and they got stuffed. And I thought the game was over when that happened. Um, if you're going to do that, just put Tate into the game. There's no there's no sense in running those kinds of plays with Dwayne Haskins as your quarterback. So if you want to do them, and I think they're good plays, and you should have them in your playbook, just put Tate in the game. Give him, give him, I don't know, 10 snaps a game, try to do that stuff. Maybe a pop one and you score a touchdown. But um, I do think that they, they need some element of quarterback run just to like loosen things up a little bit. And 
Granted, you're telegraphing it when Tate comes in. Uh, I think that's okay. You were telegraphing it every time JT Barrow's on the field. It didn't seem to matter. So I think mix them in a little bit if you can. That was exactly what I was going to say. That's the thing. Like, that's exactly it. It was everybody knew what JT Barrett was going to do, and it worked anyway because they executed it really well. And when you execute it right in the zone read, it doesn't matter because the team, the defense knows what play is coming, but they don't know what's going to happen in the play. Yeah. In the midst of the play, it's a 50 50 proposition. And if you have a quarterback who can truly read it in the moment, and JT, I think, was the best thing he did. That is not an easy thing to do. And it's a reminder. There's some of the things. It's interesting. This sounds like a column. There are things that Dwayne Haskins can't do that makes you appreciate JT Barrett. And then there are things that JT Barrett couldn't do that makes you appreciate Dwayne Haskins. Sure. But the idea of like, hey, look, a throw in rhythm over the middle into a window. Wow. Why did it seem like pulling teeth last year and now it's magically open? <laughs> And it's like, oh, a zone read. Why did Dwayne Haskins look like he was being waterboarded while he was running that? And JT Barrett did it 3,000 times in his career with no problem. It's hard to do it all, man. Yep. It's hard to do it all. And, and it's, the difference is here. But I do think fourth and one, if you're not going to throw it with Dwayne, and you probably shouldn't throw it with Dwayne, run zone read and figure whether Tate keeps it or gives it to Dobbins or Weber, we like our chances. Yeah, and I do think like Tate. Tate is not so limited as a passer that he can't be a weapon that that teams have to respect in that regard too. On fourth and one, like you don't you're putting Tate in the game on fourth and one, you're not automatically running the ball. Right. I think I think Tate can throw it respectably enough that you have to consider that he might do it. Is Tate is Trace McSorley? I almost called him Tate McSorley. I called him that. I asked Dwayne Haskins a question about Trace McSorley during the week, and I called him Tate McSorley. <laughs> Is that the comparison? Of all the comparisons that you could make as you're wondering about what Tate Martell will or would look like as the Ohio State starting quarterback, how good of a comparison is, is Trace McSorley? That is the Austin Chappelle question. I think he's a good one. I think all the things that Urban says about Trace McSorley, like being a competitor and a winner, I think that translate to, translates to Tate. Um, and Tate's a better athlete. Uh, Trace McSorley might throw a better deep ball. We have, just haven't seen much of that from, from Tate this year. Um, but I think Tate's a, a much better athlete than Trace McSorley, so I think he can be that and more. All right, last two, for real. At Bunyan Man, <clears throat> again, a lot of times you guys are on the same wavelength with us. You ask us questions that we've been talking about. Does this kind of win mean there's any chance for Ohio State to struggle with Indiana next week? <laughs> the idea that last time Ohio State, uh, last year when they struggled with Penn State and had the amazing comeback and, and won, the next week they went to, it went to Iowa and they just were exhausted. They were mentally, physically, terrible game plan, Everybody, I went nuts in the moment and said it's not like a it's not a hangover loss. It's just that they got out executed on both sides of the ball. JT Barrett played terribly. It felt like JT Barrett fourth quarter. JT Barrett against Penn State when he was ripping throws and he went to Iowa and he was like, "Yeah, I got this." And he like ripped a throw and Josh Jackson was like, "Nope, not today, baby." <laughs> is that is that out there? Uh, maybe. I think Indiana's decent. In there, I think Indiana's. Four and one now, with a loss to Michigan State, um, or maybe a three and one. Uh, maybe like I don't think Indiana is as good as that Iowa team was last year. Iowa had a pretty good defense last year, and the quarterback is going to play in the NFL. Um, Indiana doesn't have any of that, but like I think I do think Tom Allen's a decent coach. Um, so maybe they'll do some stuff that can that can make it kind of sluggish in the beginning. But no, I don't think so. I, I think 
they know what happened last year after they played Penn State, and I think they're on alert for that. So whatever it takes this week, I, I don't know what that is. Just locking in a little more against a bad opponent or, or finding ways to get guys some rest before Saturday, I think they'll be okay. I think they had seven slogans on the video board this week for Penn State. I think double-digit slogans for Indiana on the video board. It just says, remember Iowa. Yeah. Remember the Hawkeyes. Last one for real. Brock, doctor, could any – and this is a very interesting question. This spins it back to the positive, uplifting vein that you don't expect from us, but we'll give it to you <laughs> anyway. Could any other team lose their best player and beat Penn State at Penn State? Alabama. But that's probably it. Maybe Georgia. There's like, there's like four teams that recruited that level. Ohio State, Alabama – Georgia Clemson, and I watched a little bit of Clemson against Syracuse and was not very impressed with them, but I think Alabama and Georgia could, but then that should make you feel good about Ohio State, and that's, there's, that's a rare company to be in, I think. That idea, uh, I mean, it's like, it's it's crazy to think, it's like Nick Bosa simultaneously was, people were writing Heisman Trophy stories for Nick Bosa and talking about him as the number one pick in the draft, and now he's not here but I did not watch that game like thinking about Nick Bosa constantly. Maybe fans did. It's almost like Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer is a three-time national championship wow. coach and a legend. And then he wasn't here, and I was like, who was the, who's the regular coach? <laughs> and it's it's not about it's not like a slight at all to Urban Meyer or Nick Bosa, who are both as good at their jobs as anybody around. It's just a reminder of like Ohio State has a lot of stuff. And so you know, stuff the water floods into the into the into the hole. You know, like it's not it's not a gaping hole. Like they just stuff fills it. Yeah. And but but let me my follow up question is that is knowing and talking about and you wrote about what Chase Young did. How much of a difference would Nick Bosa have made in that game? I think he still would have made a huge difference. I thought there were times where Trace McSorley completed passes out of a, out of a crowded pocket, but a pocket that was clean enough for him to get the ball downfield, and I think Nick Bosa just collapses the whole thing. Um, so I think some of those runs where, where McSorley leaked out maybe wouldn't have happened, um, which obviously would, would have made a huge difference. They had Penn State had almost 500 yards uh, of total offense, and like 50 of them came on a Trace McSorley run, 93 of them came on a slant. Um, there was like one one-handed catch we talked about that was ridiculous. Like I don't, I don't think that Ohio State's defense was like con- continuously getting chunked up and down the field. But I still think Nick Bosa would have made a huge difference and would have gotten to Trace McSorley at a few times where the defense didn't on Saturday night. I think it would have been. I think it's sort of what we talked about that it's on a couple big plays. I, again, the the quick slant for ninety-three yards. I mean, Nick Bosa wasn't going to get there in time. Right. And and. Nick Bosa wasn't going to be the guy who was going to like chase down Trace McSorley once he broke contain. But the idea that like the first time that TCU tried to drop back and throw the ball in that game after going tempo and quick throws all night, the first time they actually tried to drop back and throw it, Nick Bosa scored a touchdown. Yeah. I, I think they're, you probably throw in, you probably throw in a turnover for Penn State, at least one, you know? And yeah, I think that's a good point. That it's, because, I don't know that Nick Bo any slippery quarterback who's going to escape. I mean, the whole point is here comes pressure and he makes you pay. Um, they weren't just standing back there and trying to do five-step drops and look, look, look all night. But there just would have been a couple moments where Nick Bosa would have saved you. And as it turned out, you know, Tough Borland saved him in the first half by making a play. If, if Tough Borland hadn't made that play, it would have been like, man, like they're really in trouble going to halftime. And maybe there just would have been a couple more of those – this is going to be a big play defense. 
both sides, so right? And so Nick Bosa is still the guy who is your best candidate to make those giant game-changing plays. And so you have to have other guys make them without him. But um, there would have been one or two things where it's like, wow, that was huge in that moment. And we just you just didn't get to have that moment. We're going to try to write stories. <laughs> We got so. What did you get? Like you were up later than me. Was I snoring while you were writing last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much later did you stay up than me? Uh, probably like an hour and a half. An hour and a half. What time did you go to bed? Six thirty. God, now I feel bad. That's all right. I have old bones. Yeah, but now you have to go watch the Browns and like pay attention and rake things off that too. No, I'm excited for Baker Mayfield. Little Bake. We saw Little Bake Saturday night. I wrote a whole column. It's like, no, he's not. Trace McSorley is not Baker Mayfield. And it's like, ah, I think it might be. Little Bake. And we get to see the real Bake. Little Bake. Thanks to you guys for listening. Please go read our stories. Watch our videos at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, big shout out to our folks at Shop. OhioState.com. That is shopohiostate.com, the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble Bookstore. Great website, all the Ohio State gear that you could possibly hope for. Also, stop by their store on High Street. It's lovely. MinutemanTickets.com. Did you maybe want to go see Ohio State, Penn State? Would have cost some dough, right? Might have been worth it. Might have been worth it. Might have been worth it. If you're thinking about, should I pull the trigger on this stuff? This is a Dwayne Haskins situation where you might want to do one of those things where you say, yeah, I saw that guy play live. I saw that guy play live. I'm getting a little bit, and I, this is too far, but I got that vibe with Greg Oden when he was here that it was like, yeah. if don't expect this to happen every year. Come and watch this in person. Ohio State has great players every year. I don't know that they're going to have this version of a great player every year. You might want to come watch this. And if you want to do that and you don't have a ticket in your hand right now, go to MinutemanTickets.com. They have Ohio State tickets, sports, concerts, theater stuff. But this is mostly about right now you thinking about, man, I might want to go watch that. MinutemanTickets.com. They're our ticket guys. Make them your ticket guys. Thanks to you guys for listening. Much more coming this week. Ohio State, Indiana. Um, for Bill Andis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.